Are we recording? Yes, we are. Fantastic. Let's go. Hi, everyone. I'm Louisa. I'm a neurodivergent academic at the University of Reading, and I'm your podcast host for season three of Psychological. Psychological is a podcast that started during lockdown, and it aims to make an evidence-based contribution to conversations about child and adolescent well-being, development and learning, and neurodiversity. Today's Psychological is with Gil Francis from the University of York. Gil migrated to the UK from the Caribbean island of St Lucia, where she began her career in education as a primary school teacher. Gil is a first-generation secondary and university graduate, and previously a teenage mother to her daughter, who is currently pursuing a nursing degree. And Gil now is currently a research fellow at the University of York, and there she holds a Leverhulme Early Career Fellowship Award. And Gil is on the phone with me today to talk about one of her recent papers, Play-Based Interventions for Mental Health, a systematic review and meta-analysis focused on children and adolescents with autism spectrum disorder and developmental language disorder. So hi Gil, how are you doing today? Hi Louisa, thank you so much for having me as your guest today. That's okay, that's okay, thank you very much for joining me. So the first thing I'm going to start off by asking you is what you found. So could you tell Mm -hmm. me a bit about what you discovered in this piece of research? Thank you, Louisa. So in our research, we set out to determine the impact of play-based interventions on the mental health of autistic children and children with developmental language disorder, or I'll refer to them as children with DLD for the rest of the podcast. So we discovered that there were no high-quality studies published which investigated the impact of play-based interventions on the mental health of children with DLD. Mm -hmm. In fact, only a handful of studies had looked at um, the mental health outcomes for autistic children, mm-hmm. and in the in the final um, in the final set of of papers that we were able to include in this work, there were only ten studies which met our inclusion criteria. The second headline finding of this work is that we we found that play based interventions appear to have a beneficial effect on positive mental health, but not negative mental health for autistic children. Mm-hmm. So it, when we, in, in the paper, we define positive mental health as behaviors relating to positive affect, uh, emotional, emotional functioning, attachment, and um, neg- negative mental health would have referred to um, behaviors that linked with negative affect, emotional functioning, like anxiety or internalizing or externalizing behavior, irritability, and, and, and these types. So uh, that it was quite interesting to see that um, the the effects, the overall effect of interventions on positive mental health was was significant, but um, that for negative mental health um, was not. Okay, awesome. That sounds really interesting. So, what was it that motivated you to kind of look at the influence of play based interventions on mental health in these conditions? So my motivation for this work, uh, it's because uh, I would classify myself as a play researcher. Mm -hmm. So I studied at the Research Center for Play Education, Development and Learning at the Faculty of Education, University of Cambridge. Mm -hmm. So when I joined the University of York as an ESRC fellow Mm -hmm. to work with Dr. Uma Toseb, we wanted to do a piece of work that would unite our research interest. And given Dr. Tosip's interest in mental health and neurodiversity and my interest in play, it seemed a, a systematic review which looked at play-based interventions, as well as looking at mental health outcomes in neurodiverse um, participants seemed like a good 
a good a good way of bringing our work together. Yeah. Also, when we think about the field, we know that uh, play-based interventions are commonly used with neurodiverse children mm -hmm. to support their needs. Mm -hmm. And the common question asked from such trials is what is the effect of the intervention on social communication and language outcomes? Mm -hmm. And so we realize that very little is known about the, the impact of these interventions on mental health outcomes. So uh, this is the background for doing this kind of work, wanting to address that question. Yeah, yeah, that's really important as well. I think one of the research priorities, so there's some um, questions that have kind of tried to identify research priorities in autism. So the research priorities of autistic people and their families and wider population of the autism community. And I think um, things that improve, looking at things that improve mental health is one of those priorities that's been identified. Mm -hmm. So it's really important as well to kind of identify where the research stands at the moment with reviews like what you've done. So really interesting bit of work. Well, thank you for sharing it with me. <laughs> so um, I did want to ask as well, like what sort of things do people include in play-based interventions? Maybe for listeners that don't know what a play-based intervention entails, could you give me kind of a little description or example of what sort of thing people do? Of course. So play-based interventions would be the medium for delivering some kind of support mm -hmm. for uh, children with uh, social communication and language needs. Mm -hmm. And um, within the paper, we identified the types of um, play-based play interventions that were used. So for example, some studies used standardized um, play-based approaches like, like the DR, DIR floor time um, approach mm -hmm. or a pivotal response treatment approach or some studies actually designed their own play activity that mm -hmm. could uh, get children involved and playing while addressing their social communication needs that they, they, they were interested in supporting. So this is the kind of um, play-based activities that featured within this work. And, and of course, uh, we imagine that that would have been a very central criteria for inclusion within the study, that the intervention had to have some strong element of play. Okay. Yeah, so sort of using play to kind of scaffold learning, I guess. Then. Exactly. Fantastic. So how did you kind of identify the papers that you looked at? How did you do your study? So that's a good question. So we did a systematic review with meta-analysis. Mm -hmm. And um, so with a systematic review, there are very discrete steps to follow. So we began by pre-specifying the eligibility criteria. And what that means is we wanted to determine what criteria would de determine whether a study is included or excluded within the study. Some of these criteria were research designs. So, for example, we were interested in studies that were RCTs mm -hmm. or quasi-experiments. But for the quasi-experiments, there needed to be a clear um, intervention group and comparison group. And um, we were also uh, asking about the participants. They, they were supposed to have a clear social communication disorder that was specified within the paper. Mm -hmm. And so that would mean including samples of autistic children or children with DLD. Or we were also open to other types of um, impairments, but these didn't really come out. Also, the papers had to be between the year 2000 and 2021. So mm -hmm. it's actually 
20 years of research that we've we've screened um, within this work. Yes. Wow. <laughs> uh, part of part of the process as well with a systematic review is the database screening, and that would involve going through multiple research databases like EBSCO, EBSCO Host, Web of Science, Scopus, you know the lot. And of course, we had to use a Boolean, common Boolean search strings for searching each of those databases to ensure that we were doing it consistently and systematically. And of course, uh, once we, we had gone through the process of identifying papers at the title and abstract level um, that met our eligibility criteria, we went on to do full text screening and, and that involved double screening by myself and uh, another um, one of the authors on the paper as mm-hmm. well, a PhD student mm-hmm. who was very much involved in the work. Uh, his name is Emery. We screened about 2,882 papers, and that involved title screening, abstract screening, and full text screening. And towards the latter stages, we did double screening of those, of those papers. Mm-hmm. Once we had... Um, arrived at the papers that met the eligibility criteria, and that, that's the 10 papers which I referred to earlier, we ventured into data extraction, where we selected the specific characteristics and outcomes that we were interested in. And um, also, we undertook a risk of bias assessment to judge the quality of the studies. Mm-hmm. Okay. What does that entail, then, a um, risk of bias assessment? Would you be able to give a bit of a summary of that? Oh, sure. And what that involves is evaluating each study to determine uh, the quality of the study. And these are based on six domains. We check the extent to which there was randomizations or confounds in the in the um, quasi experiments. We look at whether there were concerns with deviations from the intended out from the intended interventions or the effects of group assignments within the interventions. We make an assessment of the of whether missing whether there was an issue with missing outcome data, or we also check on the measurement of outcome variables as well as overall the reporting of the results of the paper. So mm-hmm. this is again done through interrater judgments, where myself and a second person on the team looks through those papers based on those six domains, and we make a judgment. Mm. to determine whether the study was biased. The judgment that we make will will determine whether the studies had a low risk of bias, a high risk of bias, or whether there was some bias. Regardless of the level, these are included, but it's important to know the quality of the work that we are making those those assumptions on. Uh, One of the ways we, we factored the results of the risk of bias within our systematic review is that uh, towards the analysis um, aspect, we run a sensitivity analysis to check whether the the overall effects of the interventions change depending on whether the study had a high risk or a low risk of bias. And and the the results were consistent. But Mm -hmm. that's one of the, the biggest contributions that systematic reviews make to the field is that it allows us to think about the fidelity with which we are implementing randomized controlled trials. And it also provides ways of thinking about how we can improve on ensuring that studies are of high quality and that we can 
sort of come to rely on the conclusions that we are making from these types of studies. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah, that's a really important reason. Yes, you did uh, meta-analysis then by kind of like grouping all of the data together from those papers. Yeah. Yes. So our analysis was twofold um, using qualitative approaches and quantitative approaches. So we first did a narrative synthesis. And in the narrative synthesis, we describe the characteristics of the paper. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we observed is the diversity of study characteristics. For example, the studies varied on, on criteria like the sample size, the duration of the interventions, the study settings, the backgrounds, and so on. Mm-hmm. And this points to the fact that um, research or interventions within this context appear to be quite heterogeneous, even as well in terms of the types of outcomes that are assessed, they they are to an extent quite variable. However, we were able to classify the mental health outcomes that we identified under the two broad categories of positive mental health and negative mental health. Yeah, that makes sense. Apart from that, which is we we also did um, the quantitative analysis, and that is the meta-analysis component. Um, so with, with the meta-analysis, one of the things that you do is you collect the effect sizes from each individual study. Mm-hmm. And then based on the studies that you have chosen to group, in our case, it was the studies which looked at positive mental health and the studies which looked at negative mental health. And for positive and for the studies which assessed positive mental health, what we do is we put that, we run an analysis and we generate a, a, a forest plot for that. And the forest plot shows you individual effect sizes and it also reports the overall intervention effect across the studies in that, in that category. Okay. And um, we repeat the same process for the, um, the studies reporting negative mental health outcomes. Okay. And um, the results from the forest plot show that the overall intervention effect for positive mental health was significant Mm -hmm. uh, and um, the overall intervention effect for studies reporting negative mental health was non-significant. So on that basis, we recognize that that there were two different patterns Mm -hmm. of results coming out for um, those two groups of work. Okay. And so what do you think we can kind of learn from the results that you've got from this study? My first answer to that question would be that we have to look at the findings in context. Yeah. We see that from 2000 plus studies, we identified only 10 studies. And that indicates that there is not very much work looking at mental health mm-hmm. um, within with children with social communication and language um, disorders. Mm-hmm. We must also take into account the fact that the studies themselves also appear to have uh, some level of heterogeneity in terms of the differences within study designs. Mm-hmm. Um, however, once we recognize the limitations, we are seeing a pattern that looks like play-based interventions may be able, may be a medium for supporting um, the mental health of children with social communication and language disorders. Yeah. Uh, so that that's definitely something that we can take away from it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, w- there is the caveat that we need to probably look closer and see what's happening mm-hmm. with um, studies which have assessed negative mental health outcomes to understand why it seems that the trend, uh, the overall effect trend seems to be negative within that context. So again, be given a small number of studies, mm-hmm. we're making, we're, we're, we're bringing to light the fact that mental health requires uh, some consideration in interventions mm-hmm. that are looking to support children with social and communication needs. Yeah, that sounds really important. Yeah, it's a really interesting piece of research as well. Are you planning to um, kind of extend on more from this and do any more research related to this topic? So as a, as a matter of fact, yes. <laughs> we are also looking to do a subsequent uh, meta-analysis and, uh, and systematic review, um, looking at to what extent are these interventions supporting social and communication outcomes for um, autistic children. So it's kind of the research is sort of working together to build a picture of how well interventions work to support children improving their communication and mental health. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have plans to kind of implement interventions or anything afterwards with that as well? Or are you sort of focusing on the research at the moment? Or like the, I'm focusing on the research at the moment, but yeah. so one of the amazing things with this review and even the current review we're working on is that it allows us to see specific gaps in the field. So, for example, I would love to probably get involved in an intervention in the future that allows us to explore those outcomes in tandem, given the growing trend that we've observed with co-occurring conditions for um, children with social communication outcomes. Yeah, so kind of wanting an intervention that targets both mental health and language outcomes would be great. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. That was super interesting. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about this study. So next up, I think what I'm going to ask you is if there are any kind of researchers that are earlier on in their career than you are, would you have any advice for them? Absolutely. Um, As an early career researcher myself, I would say to remember that the journey of learning and doing research is more of a marathon than a sprint. So we need to be patient and kind with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, research is a tedious process and it takes many months and um, along the way we, it can be disheartening but once you get to the end of the journey it's always rewarding to see that you've been able to find out interesting things and that you're making some kind of contribution mm-hmm. um, to knowledge. From my personal experience um, becoming a researcher has not been a straightforward journey. I've literally migrated from a Caribbean island and found myself pursuing a dream that I've always had. Mm. And um, I would definitely want to take this time to encourage uh, other individuals who who share similar backgrounds as myself Mm. to let them know that academia is accessible and it's a space where um, we can actually um, make a contribution as well. Uh, more generally, I'm a big advocate for play, so I would say to definitely find ways to make time for play, whether it is in your research or in your holistic life, because yeah. that's important as well. Fantastic advice. You've also been um, featured in a book, as a children's book, haven't you, as a play researcher, so I'll link that <laughs> in the 
podcast <laughs> description as well so people can check that out which is super cool yeah. exactly. awesome I want to check that out as well I'll put it in the description but yeah <laughs> thank you so so much for coming on and talking to me it was really interesting and a really really interesting piece of research um thank you again for anyone who is listening for joining us today you can find out more about Gil and her work by following the links in the podcast description on Buzzsprout or in your podcast app and join us again at the same time next week for another episode of Psychological bye Thank you.